Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're discussing a new Harvard Education Press book called Failing Our Brightest Kids, The Global Challenge of Educating High-Ability Students. And we're here with one of the co-authors, Chester Finn. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. So, Chester, I think a good place to start is answering sort of what the subtitle states is the global challenge of educating high-ability students. And we're looking at America here, and what is the sort of global challenge, and where does this book start in terms of uh, diagnosing the problem? Well, it starts by looking at what a crummy job we're doing of uh, moving high-achieving or high-ability kids forward in American education, especially those from poor and minority backgrounds. Uh, some people call this gifted ed, but uh, um, that, that, that term gets very complicated and, and contentious. Uh, what's been happening for the last 20 years in America is we've been focusing on boosting low achievers up to a kind of minimum standard of adequacy. We call it proficiency most of the time. And we've been neglecting the kids who are already above that bar. And uh, uh, that's evident in all kinds of data, both domestic and international. And once Brandon Wright, my co-author, and I uh, realized that um, this was really a, a serious problem, especially, again, for kids from uh, disadvantaged circumstances who were smart, uh, we said, let's look at other countries. And so the global challenge part of the uh, title involves our looking at 11 other countries around the world to see how they do it. So I'm curious what countries you chose, why you decided to pick certain countries over others, and then what are some of the results that you found by looking outside of the United States? Well, we could spend a very long time on the selection process, which is complicated uh, because it required uh, both high-achieving countries and uh, countries that are interesting to American readers, not obscure places, uh, but also uh, countries where we could, frankly, find uh, English-speaking correspondents willing to help us uh, conduct this study. Um, so we looked. We started with PISA data, of course, like almost everybody does on the international front, and we ended up with four countries in Asia, um, with um, uh, four countries in Europe, and with three countries that we just call Anglophone, namely um, England, Ontario, Canada, and Western Australia. And um, we, all but one of them, do a whole lot better than the United States at producing high achievers, according to data like PISA. And they also, all but one of them, do a lot better than we do at uh, getting uh, poor kids into the ranks of high achievers. Uh, and um, there's, no, there's no magic formula here. There's no country we should simply try to, to uh, slavishly emulate as if that were possible anyway. But we did pick up a lot of ideas. I mean, a simple idea is a universal screening of third graders, uh, which they do in uh, Singapore and in Western Australia, to see which ones are high achieving and which ones have teachers who think they might be high achieving. And then some alternative um, educational arrangements that allow kids like that to, to move faster and not just uh, uh, ignore them in favor of low achievers in, that, in their school. <laughs> You know, people describe your book as taking a topic largely discussed outside, um, you know, the realm of public debate, kind of closed-door discussions, and bringing it to the public debate. Uh, explain a little bit more about who you hope reads this book and then what they do with what they learned from this book. Well, we're looking to get this problem on the, on the national agenda. There's no doubt about that. We're trying to, to, to push the country toward... Um, 
not just a focus on getting low achievers up to the minimum, but also on moving high achievers uh, farther above the minimum and moving more poor kids who really do depend on the school system for this, not on their parents or other um, other uh, fortunate grown-ups in their lives, uh, and uh, getting this onto the agenda. So obviously we hope that the um, readership includes educators and policymakers and um, people that worry about uh, international competitiveness, because I do think the nation's future hinges in part on how well we do at producing uh, uh, leaders in a variety of fields, and also people who, who worry about equity, because uh, it's amazing the extent to which the kids really getting gypped here um, are kids from poor and minority backgrounds who happen to be good students, happen to be smart, but don't happen to have um, uh, upper middle class uh, parents and grandparents navigating the system for them. Uh, and they tend to go to school with lots of other poor kids who have uh, other problems. And so the schools just don't quite get around to them. So we'd like to get um, everybody that cares about both the equity argument and the international competitiveness argument to understand the need to change our policy agenda, add to our policy agenda, not subtract from it. I think you, you touched on this uh, earlier, but it, it's, your book references a series of ambitious but pragmatic points that one would believe should inform U.S. policy in, in the area that you're speaking about. Now, don't mention all the points because we still want people to buy the book, but just a couple of things that we should definitely learn from both the other countries and then from what you've done in terms of research of this book. Well, there we do trot out a bunch of uh, lessons that we think we learned about other countries and insights, um, and some of them are, are painful. Like, uh, there's no complete compensating for, for what families and culture do for kids. Uh, but uh, our, our system and our policies could do a lot better at, um, at helping. A simple example I already alluded to would be a kind of universal screening where we really look at uh, everybody in the um, uh, eight or nine or ten year old population and say which of these kids are uh, uh, studying hard and doing well and capable of doing even more and then um, stealing ourselves to recognize that they might have to have chances to accelerate they might even have to have chances to come in after school and learn some extra stuff they might even have to have um, I should wash out my mouth before saying this a classroom for high achieving students within their school. Uh, lots of countries do this. Um, the United States needs to get ready for this. Uh, but above all, if we would, if we would uh, restructure our uh, schools so that kids moved at their own speed, rather than assuming that uh, every eight-year-old belongs in third grade and every 10-year-old belongs in fifth grade, uh, we, would, we would almost automatically uh, make it possible for the kids I'm concerned with here uh, to uh, proceed forward um, at their own pace, which would be a faster pace for many of them. Uh, Chester, last question. You're a very well-known name in the sort of education space. Uh, you've done so much over your storied career. Uh, wh why, why focus on this issue now? Why decide to write a book on this at, at, this, at this stage in your career? And has everything sort of you've been doing led up to this? Or is this a, how does this sort of fit in? Well, it uh, began about uh, five years ago, in well, in, in a sense, it began 11 year old, 11 years ago, when I had grandchildren for the first time, and uh, began to wonder whether the schools that they go to were sufficiently challenging uh, them and taking advantage of them. 
But here at the Fordham Institute, we started uh, wondering whether the No Child Left Behind Act, uh, with its uh, focus on low achievers, uh, was having the unintended effect of uh, ignoring high achievers. And we started to do research that led to several studies, um, and that fed into an earlier book by me called Exam Schools, about places like uh, Boston Latin and Bronx Science that are um, public schools serving uh, high-achieving kids. And um, this led on to a broader question of um, what's wrong with the system that is leading to this neglect, and I think fairly, fairly speaking, uh, endangering our, our future. So I don't want to say my life is, has, has led up to this book, but I will say that uh, continuing interest in uh, major challenges facing American education and um, unmet needs and uh, uh, perverse consequences of other policies have uh, uh, inspired me to to uh, believe that this is one we really need to tackle. It's a kind of a a kind of a nation at risk uh, book, or intended to have an effect somewhat like that for a population of kids that uh, people don't like to talk about. That either either folks assume that these kids will do fine anyway because they're smart which is wrong in many cases, unfortunately, or uh, people worry that if they talk about this, they'll be accused of elitism, um, and therefore they mustn't talk about it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm willing to talk about things. Chester Finn, you, you speak with such great strength, just like a, a proper Harvard Graduate School of Education <laughs> graduate. Thank you very much for being on the EdCast. Pleasure. Nice being with you. The, the name of the book is Failing Our Brightest Kids, The Global Challenge of Educating High-Ability Students, Harvard Education Press. Buy it today. This has been the Harvard Graduate School of Education's Harvard EdCast. Thank you kindly for listening.